When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your questions about monogramming with multiple middle names, not souring a sweet 16, what to do about Buddha frog lawn ornaments, yes, that's Buddha frog lawn ornaments, and second-guessing gifts. All that plus your feedback salute and a postscript segment on the first three of six developmental stages for teaching etiquette to children. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Cindy Post-Senning. That's right. I've got Dan's mother here with me today. Cindy, I am so excited that you are joining us to guest host today. And before we get to the really exciting news, tell our audience just a little bit about who you are, how you're connected. You've been a big part of the Emily Post Institute. Definitely all the years I've been there, you've been a massive part of it. So tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do at the Institute. Just a teeny bit about me to start with is that I've lived in Vermont for 45 years, been married for 40 of them, and have two boys, (laughs) one of whom is Dan. Uh, The other one's name is Will, and he also lives right in Duxbury, Vermont, along with Dan and Everybody's on the hill now. We're all on Crossit Hill. (laughs) We're all right on Camel's Hump, actually, interestingly (laughs) enough. Um, My professional background is health and education. I've worked in both those fields for 30-odd years, doing a lot of administrative work, but also spending a lot of time doing maternal child health in both the health and the education fields. I was going to say, you've been a nurse and principal of a school. Yes. Yes. Doctorate in education. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we get all of our fabulous children's advices from Cindy, who spent years working in childhood education. Exactly. So I actually came on board to the Emily Post Institute along with Lizzie's father, Mm -hmm. Peter, my brother, and our sister-in-law, Peggy Post, back in the mid-1990s, as my mom retired. (laughs) She had been doing this etiquette stuff for 30 years. It's all in the family, right? (laughs) It's all sort of in our brains and everything. Anyway, I came on board actually to do some work with parenting and children's etiquette primarily, but also to do some of the administrative work at the Emily Post Institute. And I'm excited because we're going to talk about a lot of that developmental childhood work that you, you really changed the game, I feel like, for Emily Post, because it wasn't just rules for the sake of, yes, you have to teach your children this and you as the parent figure it out. It brought some real structure and sense to it that I think is really helpful. Well, I'm glad to hear (laughs) you say that. So I'm glad we get to share that in our postscript segment. But really, what everybody wants to know is the baby. And I was so excited that Dan gave us permission, we asked, to talk about the little bundle of joy that came into our lives last week. So please tell us, who do we, who's new? <laughs> One week old today. <laughs> and it's our little Anisha, A-N-I-S-H-A. It's a Sanskrit word. And her full name is Anisha Rickley, which is Dan's middle name also. Senning. Um, seven pounds, seven ounces, <laughs> 19 inches long. 1057 um, in the morning 10, on Tuesday. 1057 in the, <laughs> the morning 24th. on Tuesday. <laughs> so they, um, and two just really excited, over-the-moon parents no surprise there. And four over-the-moon grandparents. Pooja's parents were also there. We all had the opportunity to meet Anisha within hours of her birth yeah. at the maternity center. It was just so exciting. Needless to say, she is beautiful. She really is. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Light brown hair, quite a bit of it, little yeah. pudgy cheeks, little pudgy arms. Oh, little lips are so cute. Yes. The nice, the nice thing about being two weeks 
weeks late is it's a little bit like she's a two-week-old baby already. Right. And she just has bright eyes, looks you right in the face. So cute. Oh, my she gosh. She does. I had the cutest moment with her where she's she's sitting in my hands, you know, and like in my lap, sitting vertically out for me. She's just so sweet. And and we're having our moment and I'm telling her all these silly things like you're going to grow up and teeth. Teeth are going to be a thing in a couple years and they're going to hurt, but it's going to be OK because then you get to eat more stuff. And, you know, I'm telling all <laughs> right, this silly stuff right. to her. And I said something really silly. And she just wrinkled her little eyes and gave me this little attitude face. And Dan, who was sitting behind me, was kind of like, oh, my gosh, she just gave two. She understands sarcasm. <laughs> it was so funny. She okay. was already her personality is coming out. And I just I think that's amazing. But first doctor's <laughs> visit yesterday. She's, oh? gained, she's gained three. Three ounces, so she's now seven pounds, ten ounces, and so things are going well. Lactation consultant today, and they're just moving right along with it. It's really nice to see. I've been talking with Dan a lot about how he's just like the the capacity for love is like this amazing new discovery when you have a baby, and I haven't been through it myself, but having Dan go through it, it was so funny because yesterday he he finally jumped on his email, and he's on paternity leave, so we're not expecting to hear from him, but he's forward on four emails to us. And at the bottom of one where he had written a whole bunch of explanation, he then wrote, much love, Dan. And I was just like, he's so a dad now because Dan would (laughs) never sign his business emails, much love, even to family. And so I was like, he's a changed man. And not everyone here knows that Dan is like super loving and affectionate, but it was just a funny character. Like he's in the love bubble of I'm a new dad. And he's so excited to get called a dad. When Pooch first called him a dad she said your daddy's there he's like i don't have to say well soon or yeah. in a little bit he's like i'm a dad now i'm a dad now <laughs> it's so and, great. and the point he made was and i don't have to give her back to anybody no he doesn't when he goes and plays <laughs> with his nieces he has to give them back to will but now he says i get to keep this one <laughs> it was so cool oh it's so yeah. true to me i just think it's like Getting to watch someone else go through this, who you're very close. I mean, Dan and I see each other every day. He's much like a brother to me. I don't think I've been this close to someone who's then had a baby other than my best friend. And so it's amazing watching someone change and go through that and absorb it all. And it's, oh, it's been a lot of fun. So it's exciting. I'm very excited to get the nursery set up in the office so that we can have more days where she comes into (laughs) work. Well, I know you. I know you've been a great support to him, and I know how much he appreciates that too, because oh, well, it's been a lot. That's so, the same going yeah. the other way. This podcast would not be <laughs> redistributed if it wasn't for for Dan. But we were so excited to get to tell you about Anisha, and we are very, very excited to have her in our lives. Well, I'm sure everyone would love to hear us talk about the baby, and you and I can continue talking about the baby till the end of days for sure. <laughs> but do you think we should get to some listeners? questions. I definitely think we should get to some listener questions. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Please leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. And to our very first question, we received one entitled Monogramming with Middle Names. Yes, and I'm going to read you this one because you have experience with this. I do. Dear Mr. and Ms., that is a first. We have not been addressed as that before. Recently, I have been given a silver paperweight for my birthday, which I wish to have engraved with my initials. My full name is Now, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, but pardon me if I'm not. Michel Georges Paul Vandenbosch, named after both my grandfathers. Now, since the engraving can only contain three letters, should I use my first or second middle name's initial? Additional difficulty arises because Georges was a grandfather with whom, due to family reasons, I had a rather sour bond. Would it therefore be appropriate to use the initials MPV? Michel Paul Vandenbosch rather than M.G.V. Michel Georges Vandenbosch. 
Best wishes, Michelle Vandenbosch. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for your letter. It's an interesting one. I find it interesting because I have a different granddaughter whose name has four initials. Her name is Stella Grace Esther Senning. And the, the Stella Grace part of it is actually two first names. That, right. That's the way um, Will and Susan consider that. So she would be... S-G-E-S, if we used all four. I talked with Susan and asked her how she would handle it if she were being limited to three initials. And she said she would probably drop the Esther because they really consider Stella Grace her name. name, Right. It, It really is. So anyway, I think that the bottom line, the answer to your question is that you can choose on this one. There is no rule. You may find there are many places that will engrave with four letters. If there's space on the item being engraved, the engravers may do that. But if they won't, you get to choose which middle name or first name you want on that engraving. Absolutely. I think it's simple. I think I would stay away from the additional difficulty. You don't even need to go down that road. Right. You you can just choose that you like the sound of it. You like the way it looks, Identify whatever it is. Identify with it better. Identify yeah. with it, exactly. And for the most part, these these grandparents may not ever even see the engraved item, and it may not even be an issue. Right, exactly. I love that. People who do have four names, and sometimes it's the last name that's that's hyphenated and both initials are used. or some. Right. There are all kinds of different combinations for having four names or right. sometimes five names within your name. And because traditional monogramming is three initials. Um, There are plenty of cases, though, and I think this would probably be one where if since the item, it doesn't sound like it's being ordered through a website where there's a specific limit. It's an item that's already been given that's then being brought to an engraver. Should you want all four? By all means, inquire about it. Three is not a hard and fast rule. Whenever you can put all four, I think it's great to have all four. But if your engraver is telling you, like you had mentioned, Cindy, that it won't fit or something like that, just pick whatever works best for you. For you. Yeah. You decide how you like the way it looks. End of story. <laughs> exactly. So, Michelle, we really hope that you enjoy that paperweight, yeah. love the initials that you put on it, and move forward with confidence knowing that it is truly up to you which initials you choose to use. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear jerking to plot twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. So as we move on to our next letter, uh, it's kind of, kind of an interesting one, I think. title of this particular one is Don't Sour a Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> I thought this one would be appropriate since I got to do a little bit of assistant work with you on the teen book. And we wrote about Sweet Sixteen parties. <laughs> right. Hi, my daughter and I are desperate for guidance. She is being invited to two Sweet Sixteen parties on the same night. No invites have arrived in the mail yet. 
Girl A is a longtime friend who my daughter adores and keeps in touch with via social media, but they now go to different high schools and don't see one another except one to two times per year. I'm also friendly with her mom, but we don't socialize together that much. My daughter doesn't know very many of the other girls going to Girl A's party. Girl B is a classmate at the same high school, same circle of friends as my daughter, and all the other invitees are friends and classmates of my daughter. My daughter doesn't socialize much with this girl outside of school, but just like Girl A, my daughter likes her a lot, though they've only known each other about a year. Both Girl A and B attended my daughter's birthday dinner this past fall. My daughter is leaning towards the second party for Girl B because she will know everyone at that party versus feeling awkward at the other party. But she's very aware that she may be offending Girl A by declining her invite and doesn't want to hurt her feelings. I'm leaning towards Girl A because she's known her longer. I also suggested trying to make an appearance at both parties. Challenging, though, as a ride between the two locations is about 25 to 30 minute drive. I don't want the first girl to be hurt, but I also don't want my daughter feeling like an outsider at that party while the rest of her class is having a great time at the second party. Any help and advice is greatly appreciated. Mary Bet. Well, Mary Bet, that does sound like a tough problem. Yes. I think it's awkward. Mm-hmm. And you've already addressed the first issue. Often we talk about the first invitation. If you've received an invitation and responded to it and then another one comes along, th- then you- you've committed already and you've already made your response to that first person. Easy. No yeah. tough problem there. But that's this, not the case. But that's not the case. Exactly. <laughs> and so um, I think you have a little bit of a different situation here where you actually can make some kind of a choice. You can be thinking about it. Even if the invitations haven't arrived yet, you can be thinking about the issue. And I think as Lizzie and I talked about this letter when we were sort of preparing for this show, we both came up with the same vote. <laughs> we did. Interestingly we both enough, voted the same we thing. We <laughs> both think that your daughter should actually probably go to Girl B's party. I think the fact that the folks that are there are the people she currently socializes with and spends time with means uh, several things. The first of which, she'll probably have a better time because she won't feel that awkwardness you addressed. And she'll feel good about being at the party with a bunch of her friends. Yeah. Secondly, these are people she's going to be socializing with at parties to come and to come and to come. And if she doesn't show up at this one, some of the others may be wondering what the heck's going on. <laughs> it may cause some rift between people that she's going to be socializing with. Yeah. However, let's go back to Girl A because I know the concern, Mary Bet. Your concern is that they've been close friends and that she doesn't want to wound or hurt her Girl A friend. They already don't get to spend a lot of time together, so a birthday is kind of a special outreach. And they came to her birthday party. They both were at her, you know, Girl A was at her birthday party. I think what she should do, and Lizzie has agreed with me on this (laughs) one, (laughs) we think what she should do is respond to Girl A that she's not able to attend her birthday party, but would love to do something really special for her 16th birthday. And they could figure it out together. Maybe they'd go out to dinner. Maybe they'd go to a mall somewhere. Maybe they'd go to a movie or a concert or whatever. But find something super special to do with Girl A so that you celebrate her sweet 16th birthday. And then you attend Girl B's party. To me, that's the right answer. And I think that it would be different if, like you had said, if that invitation had already come or something like that, or if the daughter wasn't that close with her school friends, I would look at it as, by all means, go to the other party. And for the most part, when you're in this situation, you're going to have a good sense of of which one feels like the right one to go to and which one you'll be able to say, like you suggested, hey, let's go to a special dinner, just the two of us, since I can't come this particular night. Right. Um, Now, do you think that she has any obligation? obligation to tell girl A, you know, well, I I already said yes to another birthday party or something like that, because depending on if that invitation has arrived or not, you know what I mean? Because we are dealing with verbal invitations that have clearly come out, but then there's also the written invitation that hasn't arrived yet. I think she wants to be careful about that because what if the Girl B invitation didn't ever come? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would be, that awful, be awful, wouldn't it? And she had already told Girl A she was going to Girl B. So, that so could wait be till the invitation <laughs> arrives in the mail. <laughs> a, uh, a, a. Or, uh, for, yeah. for, in first place, um, yeah. I would do that. The other thing that we had talked about that Mary yeah. Beth asked us about 
about was whether or not she should try and go to both. And I think that we both felt that that was not probably as wise an idea. It winds up sort of splitting your friendship a little bit with both of them. You may not get as much out of either party. (laughs) And I think that the idea of going to one party, enjoying that party, knowing that's where you wanted to be and being with a bunch of friends and then doing a Sweet 16 deal with your girlfriend A makes the most sense. I think that that splitting parties when you're older and you've had a lot of kind of party experience is is a much easier thing to do. I think about our family at various times. We would go at the holidays to like Pete and Elizabeth's for some cocktails and then over to my Aunt Sarah's for the main dinner and then someone else's house for right. dessert. You kind of party hop. But I think that's something you do once you've you've learned how to kind of establish those norms. And at 16, I don't think that's as easy to manage. And I think you're right that she will feel at party, the first party that she goes to, whichever one it is, you would just feel like you're constantly waiting to make it to the right. second party where you can finally relax and just enjoy yourself because you're just there. Right. It creates a strange dynamic of, oh, but I have to go and this other thing I promised. And But it kind of, you're right, your attention gets split and that's no fun. Exactly. In any case, just let us say that we know that your daughter will have a lovely evening that evening, whichever way it goes. And we think that the important thing is your interest and hers in maintaining good friendships with both girls. Okay, Cindy, I love the title of our next question. It was one of my favorites. Tell us what it is. (laughs) Buddha Frogs and Disappearing Checks. I love the title, too. (laughs) So, hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your show. Here is my question. I recently got married. We had a small city hall wedding with just immediate family. And then a week later, we had a casual party at a nearby brewery with about 80 local friends. Thanks to your podcast, I knew that since it was a belated reception rather than a wedding, gifts are not expected. So we did not create any registries or anything. And when people asked about registries, I told them that we were not expecting gifts. However, lots of people brought gifts anyway, and we are now writing thank you notes. Two small problems have arisen. One, we got a very lovely lawn ornament that did not have a card on it, and we cannot figure out who gave it to us. I cannot for the life of me recall who handed me the bag with the lawn ornament in it. Since not everyone brought gifts, process of elimination is not really working here. My husband thinks we should email everyone who attended and ask if they gave us that lawn ornament. It is pretty unique. It is a Buddha frog. (laughs) Can't you just picture? (laughs) A Buddha frog. (laughs) I feel like that may be taken the wrong way by people who did not bring a gift. I do not want them to feel that we are fishing for people to give us something now by mentioning a gift in a mass email. Am I overthinking things? How else can we figure out who gave us this mystery Buddha frog so we can thank them? The other problem is that I think I may have misplaced some cards, one of which I am nearly positive had a check in it. I remember opening it once we were at home and seeing the check, mentally noting who gave it to us, and then placing it with the other gifts in a pile at home to be gone through later. We have now gone through that pile and searched the house, but cannot find that card. What is the best thing to do in this situation? Would it be weird to write a thank you note to that couple? even though we have misplaced both the card and the check and therefore will not be able to cash it? What if I'm misremembering and they did not give us anything? Or alternatively, should we wait and see if it turns up? How long is a reasonable amount of time to write a thank you note? Or in this case, to wait and see if the card and check turns up in the house? The final question I have is if I should be writing thank you notes for wedding cards that did not come with gifts. My guess is yes, and that I should also thank them for coming to the party in the note. But I feel like I had no internal etiquette compass before I started listening to your podcast, so I would love your thoughts on this. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh my goodness, Laura. That's a lot of gift dilemma, but I'm just still in my head the image of the Buddha frog. I kind of want one now that I like (laughs) things you never knew you wanted, right? Right. Um, So there's two things that make this question kind of a little different from our usual. And the first is that when it comes to the Buddha frog and asking everybody, you actually had a belated reception. So not everybody brought gifts. So you're right. It makes that process of elimination much harder. Even still, we would not recommend 
recommend sending out a mass email because I think it it's too much. It's too many people involved. The risk of having reply all and people making either jokes about the gift or what I didn't know we were supposed to bring gifts or, well, you know, belated receptions. You don't get a gift like you could just get so many awkward things happening there. And on top of which, we've talked about that mass email is so impersonal. This was a personal, fun, special, memorable evening and an impersonal kind of group email. (laughs) Just, I don't know, it just sort of minimizes that. I might start out by thinking about my guests and thinking who would give a Buddha lawn frog ornament or frog lawn ornament, excuse me. Um, You know, who would give that? Because I could probably out of like 150 guests nail down maybe 25 that that could have come to and at least start there perhaps because sometimes you get something where someone goes out of out of their normal box out of their normal kind of line right. of, of gift giving so save that but i would say maybe first go for the aunts and uncles and cousins and friends who might have actually given you oh, this gift. good idea but, yeah mm-hmm. so that might be one way to start but i do think that sending that individual note that says we received the most fun gift ever but the problem is is that i've lost the card to it so exactly. i don't know who it is that I should be thanking. I just wanted to find out from you if if this was potentially your gift. You can even say, we weren't expecting gifts because it was a belated reception. But, you know, and that that kind of covers your bases so that people know, oh, they weren't expecting gifts. But no, I'm sorry. It wasn't me who gave you the Buddha frog. Oh, yes, that was me. I'm so glad you love it. Yeah. It'll be easy, but I think mentioning, you know, we weren't expecting gifts, but this wonderful Buddha frog lawn ornament arrived and we are dying to thank the lovely person who gave it to us. Was it by chance you? I think that that would be a wonderful way. You had a fabulous idea that when you are writing your thank you notes, there are some people that just don't send wedding gifts and it it just happens. They don't know kind of the custom or just forgot. That's often me. (laughs) Um, But you say to write the thank you note saying thank you so much for coming to the wedding. Exactly. And then you have a real purpose of thanking them anyway. Um, and I think you could you could debate whether or not you want to separate that out and do the, the thank you for the wedding as one thing and the ask about the Buddha frog as another thing. You could separate them so that there's really the focus on the thank you and then there's the question about right. the Buddha frog. And you can send the thank you to everybody who came to the I wedding. I think you should. And only have the paragraph about the Buddha frog to the folks that didn't bring gifts but might have but kind might of a thing. Have, I mean, yeah. you can think about it that way. You, you don't want to send the Buddha frog question to somebody who you are already know the gift they sent you. That's Obviously. the point I, yeah, I think yeah, I'm yeah. trying to make there. Yeah. But in any case, it's lovely to send a thank you note for people coming to this special occasion. I always, I loved that idea. Yeah. So that yeah. should help you narrow down who, who sent the Buddha frog and right. be able to thank them properly while also thanking people and letting them know you weren't expecting gifts. So you can kind right. of cover all right. the bases in one. Right. The issue of the check is a little bit different because, you know, as we reread the question, all of a sudden I'm saying, whoa, she's second guessing herself now. Laura's second guessing herself and we're not sure if she opened it. I say, trust your memory and go from there and say, you know, we weren't expecting gifts, but I have this memory of opening a card and seeing a, a lovely, generous check from you. And now I've misplaced the card and now I'm second guessing everything. So please, would you do you mind just letting me know if that did happen? I'd love to make sure you can cancel the check because we can't find it. We've searched high and low, but we wanted to say thank you. I think that's Does exactly that the way to go with that. And um, I think that should work fine and should not offend anybody. And in fact, should show your appreciation and your gratitude. Absolutely. And right. remember, the idea is that and obviously our listener has this in her head already, but the idea is that you're not trying to coax a gift out of them. Any all of these things are, that that could be seen as rude, likely the other person is just going to want to help you out. Right. I think we often worry so much about how we're going to be perceived. Right. And there are such easy ways of curbing that worry by saying, you know, we weren't expecting gifts and I received this card and I just have this memory, but with all the, the hubbub going on, I, I wasn't sure. And then it's lost, so I can't find it and I'm embarrassed and right. here we go. And I think... <laughs> 
I think Lizzie. I would the call other for thing, that too. By the way, oh, say, is this is what you were going to say. Just what I was going to say. <laughs> Aunt niece ESP happening yeah. right here. <laughs> I was just going to say that. a phone call might be just the perfect way to handle that. And and uh, I think whichever way you handle it, you want to be clear that you're not asking the amount of that check. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you let them come up with that if they want to make that offer. Fine. And you're not asking them to send you another check. So I think you're in good shape, whether you call or you write. I think that the approach we've talked. Do you think with the Buddha frog you would call or would you write for that? No, because you'd have to call 30 people. Yeah, so you want to instead the writing and with the writing you get the thank you note for coming to the wedding as a double. Unless on the Buddha frog you have a couple of cousins that you're close with that you felt you could call and say, did you give us the Buddha frog? We got it. We love it. And we've lost the card. You could do that with a couple of people. That might be a good way to narrow it down in the beginning to save the handwork later. Not that I want to encourage people to ditch thank you notes, but yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. I like it. Laura, I think that you have a couple different options to go with and feel confident that you have tact and grace and gratitude in your heart and I think that you will absolutely execute this well and no one will feel offended. It will be a funny story. The the Buddha lawn frog I mean that just, I keep calling it the wrong thing. It's a Buddha frog lawn ornament. (laughs) (laughs) It will be on my registry one day. (laughs) Right. There you go, Lucy, and I'm going to be looking for it. Our next question is titled Second Guessing Gifts. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I really enjoy listening to your show as I feel it really helps me consider what to do in difficult and atypical etiquette situations. Thank you for hosting. You are most welcome and thank you for listening. For sure. (laughs) My question is regarding birthday gift giving for our soon-to-be 12-year-old niece. For the last several years, I have purchased her a new porcelain keepsake as her gift for her birthday. She will receive one every year until she turns 16. This year, while I am still Sending the year's keepsake. I will actually be with her on her birthday and wanted to take a smaller present that would safely travel in my carry-on for her to open on her birthday. I thought about a book series that I loved when I was 12 and sent a quick text to my sister to double-check that she had not read the book I was going to purchase for her. After my sister confirmed my niece had not read the book, she messaged back saying that she, quote-unquote, couldn't stop laughing at my niece's response. My niece had responded, quote, why is she buying me so many books? Tell her to just send me cash. I purchased two other books for her for Christmas as she is a voracious reader and naturally thought a book would be a great small gift to take to Christmas. Now I am completely second-guessing my gift for her. I love being able to carry on the tradition of the keepsake as intended, and I thought I was being more considerate by actually bringing her a gift she could open and enjoy the day of her birthday. But since the recipient is now saying, send cash, is it expected that I do so? I find cash gifts for birthdays too impersonal, especially for a child. I would like to at least complete the keepsake gift collection we started for her, but now I fear that she would no longer be as excited about it as she was when we started it. Any insight on this situation is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Ashley. What do you think about that? I mean, that's like you're dealing with tween age, so you never know what kind of attitude you're getting. You're dealing with cash gifts versus the giver, what they want to give. Plus, there's like a series of ongoing. That's a lot. That's a lot in that question. There is a lot in that question. And I think, you know, we always want to be careful that we're not just attributing things to tweens right, or like, tween age. I gave her that, some toot in that response right. when I read the Ex- quote, and that might have been wrong. Maybe exactly. it wasn't flippant, you know? Right. I think to start with, I certainly would not bring a book as a second gift. I think it's very clear that you, Ashley, uh, may love reading, but your niece is going through a phase where she doesn't. Sometimes kids don't really like to read. She's not looking, you know, forward to it. Sometimes she- they like to pick their own books too. That's a thing. That too. I think the fact that she said, what is this with books? (laughs) You know, is is maybe not so much tood as more that it's just not the thing for her. It's not the thing for her. I would not, if I were coming, bring a book given all of this. I understand why you might want to bring something with you when you come. It is nice to have a gift for someone to open. So think about some other things that you might want to give her besides cash. I wouldn't want to bring cash if I were you either. And I think Based on Ashley's reaction, your reaction, Ashley, to her commentary that you couldn't stop laughing or you laughed. Oh, until the, the it sister. Hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that 
She had not meant that in the sort of snark, sarcastic tootie way that we might. She's be trying to say about. that the niece is being funny. Yeah, it, we're trying yeah. to make light oh, of this, not cat. heard yeah, of this. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I think so. You might want to think about what would be something different you could bring besides a book. And I thought about a couple of things. Yeah. I thought about stationery, sort of some fun stationery, colorful stationery with a colorful pen or something with it. That's easy for you to carry and transport with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had a great picture of the two of you, you and your niece, the last time you visited, you might get a cute frame, put it in a frame and have that for her. Um, I I even thought about, rather than cash, maybe a gift certificate to her favorite online store or a store she goes to. And you can talk with her mom about what might be appropriate there. I always love that. I remember about the time I was 12, my grandmother, rather than buying me a physical gift, started getting me a Gap gift card. And that was the store at the time that I shopped at the most. And it was where most of my clothing came from. And it was really exciting to see what, to me, was a very big number. You know what I mean? It was like a birthday number and it made me feel like, whoa, that's really like a big deal. And I get to go pick it out myself. Yeah. And I think at tween age, that's a real big deal is picking out your own clothes and really starting to take ownership. So that might be a good way to go. I like the gift card route and it's not cash. You know exactly where the money is going to be spent. That's right. And then, and then, you know, segueing into the old thank you note thing, <laughs> you take a picture of you wearing that lovely sweater or shirt outfit, or outfit yeah. that you got with that um, gift card. Makes it a really fun way to do a quick, easy thank you note. I think that that might work. Final point yes. is I would continue sending the porcelain keepsakes. I agree. Maybe they're not mean hugely meaningful to her at age 12. That, right. that is a real possibility. But I can tell you that when she's 20 or 30, they're going to mean a great, great deal. This this set of keepsakes from her aunt is, I think that's awesome. I, I had something I like that, that when my my godfather did um, uh, the Add a Pearl necklace for me. Yes. And I will tell you that as a little kid, it mattered not to me at all. But as an adult, right. I really have been incredibly grateful for that gift, so much so that I did it for my goddaughter. And I always get her exactly what we're talking about, some clothing or a toy. I mean, she's two and a half, almost three, so we're really <laughs> right. little. But I always get her something that she can use now, but there's this other thing that I'm doing for her that collectively grows each year. And I think that that's a beautiful gift, and she will probably cherish it when she's older. Porcelain keepsakes may not be at the top of her wish list, but I do think that it's a lovely idea, and I commend you for it. Um, I I know she will appreciate it. So keep up with the keepsakes and maybe a gift card or stationery or some other area of interest for the the smaller gift that you can bring and open on the day. Exactly. I love it. Cindy, thank you so much for helping our listeners and answering their questions. (laughs) I have loved this. I feel like we had really great questions for for having you on as a guest. We did. That has been fun thinking about the things people ask you and listening to some of the podcasts to hear the different kinds of questions that you get that you and Dan both respond to. I love it. It's so much fun. Well, thank you for sending in your questions. And please send us updates, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858. 585463 or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook just use the hashtag awesome etiquette so we know you want your questions on the show so Lizzie I know that each week you and Dan receive notes and thoughts and on questions that you've answered and salutes that people have submitted and um, I think we'd like to continue that with yes. me and Dan's place if that's okay feedback so, I would love for you to read some of our feedback so <laughs> let me start with the first one this week we have some feedback from Laura from episode 124 splitting the bill hi Lizzie and Dan With the recent follow-up response to splitting the bill with friends for dinner, I wanted to share something that a group of my friends and I do that we call the 1.3 rule. Okay. Okay. After we pass the bill around and add up the amount we individually ate or drank, we multiply that total by 1.3 in order to get how much we're each going to leave. It's a pretty easy calculation to just add another third in your head. And unless you live in a state with no sales tax, it's a great way to figure out both tax and tip in one shot, since it typically leaves a 20-25% tip. When it's time to pay, someone usually just says, 
Remember 1.3 rule for everyone. If someone is new to the dinner, they'll ask what it means. And for everyone else, it just serves as a quick, polite reminder. And we usually write a quick list on the back of the receipt with the type of card slash last four digits plus the amount. For instance, MasterCard, one, two, three, four, twenty dollars So it's easy for the server to divide it up. Hope you find that helpful. Thank you so much for the wonderful podcast. I'm a new listener, but I'm thoroughly enjoying, enjoying learning how to deal with sticky situations. Laura. Oh, Laura, I think that's actually great. I tested this out. I did a couple different amounts in my head. Yeah. And for general purposes, it does work. You do have to watch out for if you live in a state where there's a higher food tax or beverage tax, right. that that can sometimes push you over 1.3. But for the most part, this actually is a quick way to cover it. And then I think you you have to remember and decide for yourself whether you're putting the total onto the card and then leaving no tip or whether you're putting on a specific amount on the card and then adding the tip after that. Oh, interesting. So just something to think about because mm-hmm. I know that for servers and how they declare things and whether something looks like just a charge to the restaurant or a tip, I think there there can be some differences there. So just to be aware of that. But I thought this was a pretty gosh darn good, good way of going through it. <laughs> I think so. I think that makes a lot of sense. And we appreciate Laura sending that in and sharing it with us. Thank Always you, Laura. Always nice to make those group dinners easier when it comes to splitting the check. Exactly. <laughs> we also have Hannah who wrote in with some advice concerning our switch to our new feed. I thought this was actually really great and generous advice. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. First, congratulations on going independent. Thank you. The show is wonderful, and I'm sure it will continue to be the well-produced and helpful source of entertainment that APM helped it grow into. And thank you so much for recognizing that. APM really did a huge, huge service to us helping us learn how to podcast. They sure did. (laughs) You both do a fabulous job teaching me and entertaining me each week. Also, congratulations to Dan. I can't wait to hear the chosen name, which I'm so glad you will have heard in this episode. (laughs) She has a smiley face after that. Right. I'm writing in response to episode 121. In your intro, you both explain how to find the new home for awesome etiquette. I was very surprised that you specifically reached out to audience members that maybe hadn't set up their own podcast feed or were not necessarily familiar enough with technology to find your new feed. I applaud you for thinking of those people. Too often, people involved in media are quick to forget that not everyone knows their way around a smartphone. I specifically wanted to reach out and add an additional tip to help people who may not be great with technology find your new feed. I am a public librarian, and one of the things I do on a daily basis is to help people access information on personal devices. My colleagues and I routinely help people download ebooks, set up email addresses, and yes, locate and subscribe to podcasts. And the best part? We do it for free. If any of your listeners need an extra hand in finding your new feed, consider directing them to their local public library, personal listening device in hand, and asking a librarian for help. We are happy to do so. Have a happy new year, Hannah. I love that. (laughs) I do too. And let me just tell you that the public library in my town offers exactly that kind of help. And you can go in and they have a person who's sort of dedicated to helping folks like me (laughs) with their um, electronic devices. I had no idea. I would, And I would caution to not expect or require this of your librarian, but ask, go ask. I think that's a brilliant idea. I had no idea that libraries were doing this and I think it's amazing. I think it is amazing also. Well, again, Hannah, thank you so much. And a big shout out to librarians out there who are learning about personal devices and learning about this digital world and making it still something that's accessible in a place where we come for our physical reading and our physical books and everything. I think that is just incredible. Hannah, thank you so much for sharing that advice with us. We'd like to thank all of you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. 
So this week's Postscript segment is a real treat because, Cindy, you have been teaching to kids for like the past 35 years and specifically etiquette to kids for the past 15, almost 20 years. Um, And you have a really strong expertise in childhood development. And that actually enabled you to create uh, etiquette advice built around the developmental stages so that we actually know what can we expect from kids? What should parents be teaching? And I am so thrilled that you are here with us today to go over the first three of the six developmental stages. That's great, Lizzie. I'm just looking forward to talking about it. I love this whole topic for me is what the essence of etiquette is about. It's about us being able to um, behave in a way that's appropriate to our age and who we are and what we're doing. And it's been my approach to teaching etiquette to kids for a long time. So let's get started. Let me start just by telling you that this is particularly near and dear to my heart. I actually left my job as a clinical director of a large home health agency to come and work with Peggy and Peter at the Emily Post Institute back in 19, maybe 98 or 99. Peggy had been touring for the 16th edition of the Big Etiquette book, and she received requests from people everywhere she went for two different books, Business Etiquette, Peter took that on, (laughs) and an etiquette book for parents, teaching manners to your kids. I said I would take that on, but only on the condition that I take a look at kids in terms of their social development. There's nothing really out there. There was nothing at that time anyway out there regarding when kids can learn what things. Sort of like when they're ready to learn the most things. Com- one of the most common questions I would get from parents yeah. is, when can I expect my child to say please? When can I expect my child to shake hands? When can I expect my child to have good table manners? They're Whatever. They're looking for the markers. They're looking for... Exactly. Okay. So I said what I I wanted to do was work with some folks in the education and health field and consider a developmental skill for social development. And that's what we did. And it was very interesting. A variety of teachers, nurses, speech-language person. We all got together and considered kids we do from birth to age 18. So we came up with a social development scale, which was back in maybe around the year 2000, 2002. Okay. And so I've been working with it for 16 years now, and I'm still feeling really pretty good about it. I am too. When when you and I teach the the Children's Train the Trainer program, it's rock solid, and you see year after year people connect with and identify with and understand that. I think you really struck it rich, hit gold, whatever you want to call it, with the way this program outlies itself. Right. So what we did was we set up our book for parents based on this social development scale. We took a look at kids in six different developmental stages. As with all developmental stages, let me give you the warning. The caveat (laughs) here is that sometimes a child will make that move at three years. Sometimes they'll make it at three and a half years. Sometimes they'll make it at two and a half years. There isn't a set day. The birthday is not a marker for these particular developmental steps. So in addition to having some understanding about the developmental stage your child might be in, you also need to know your child. Right. That little shy child who might not step out from behind your knee for a little while um, shouldn't be pushed to do so just because Cindy Post Sennings developed. Metal scale says she should. I just she want to be, be clear great about that. at using the utensils or something, Ex- but, but an introduction might be really difficult. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. So let's see. So we came up with six stages, and I think if all of you out there who have kids at different ages think about this, they make sense. That's all I can say about it. Uh, they made. They've made it seems sense to work. for fifteen years. I think they've made sense anyway to me. The very first stage is, of course, from birth to one year is what we call waking to the world. Those little babies. And you might ask me whether or not you can really teach manners to those little babies. You absolutely can and do. You do really from the time they're in the womb just about because you set the climate around them of um, respect and consideration and honesty. You've heard us use those three (laughs) principles before. If that's the climate they're born into, they get bathed in it in essence and they'll begin to adopt some of that climate as their own personalities, I think. You always say something about when we we teach the parenting Mm -hmm. section of this Mm -hmm. at Train the Trainer, you always say something that I think is one of those aha moments for the teachers. And then when you teach it to parents, it's it's to the parents. And that's that don't model 
the behavior you want your kid to have, live it, right? That's right. That's right. You have to be the kind of person you want your child to be. And I have two pieces of advice. If you don't remember all this other stuff I tell you, that's fine. Just I'll remember give you the this. two pieces of advice <laughs> that you need to have. I think that in Waking to the World, what you're doing is you're establishing this climate, as I said. So you should use please and thank you with your partner if all you have time. other kids with your kids or whatever. You should be considerate. You should use please and thank you with the baby. Can yes. you please hold your legs still, even <laughs> though you're really holding those legs down? Please Things let me like tie that. your shoe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I feel like this stage is... Is the the chance for parents to be, especially during um, a pregnancy? Yes, it's like the stage where they hone their skills. Yes. It's like okay, we're about to be teaching this to a right. little one. Yes. Let's use these first three right. years to get really right. good at this ourselves right. as they're absorbing right. so much. <laughs> what What's the climate we want in our home? Exactly. What do we want exactly. to bring? What world do we want to bring this baby into? So I want to just get a little bit specific. Yes. People can't quite believe that. We can teach manners to little babies, and we actually can. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Table manners, right? That's one of the classics we get asked so often, right? (laughs) Table manners, we're teaching from when they're very, very little, actually. We start with the idea that bibs are really first napkins. We use bibs to protect our clothes, to catch food that's spilled on our clothes and stuff like that. It's just that we tie it around their neck because they can't hold it in their lap yet. (laughs) So bibs are first napkins. Think about your 10-month-old waving that spoon around. They're not eating with it yet, but they are learning to associate a spoon as a utensil for eating. You were just telling me a story about the girls, um, Will and Susan's daughters, the other day in the macaroni and oh, cheese. Oh, and they, they put the spoon down. They'll wave the spoon around, particularly the, even the two-year-old Dylan. in this case, but little mm-hmm. one, will put the spoon down and then eat with their fingers. That's fine. The point of fact is what they're learning is they're learning that there are utensils for eating. If you give any of those kids a spoon, they'll go put it up to their face. They know that that's what it is. And they see mom and dad doing that. So. And, <laughs> right. And the most important advice I think I give yep. mothers of babies in this waking to the world stage is that when you know, when we talk about table manners, those of you who are our regular listeners, <laughs> that we talk a lot about dining being a social event, yes. that we eat and that the things we learn about social conversation, about Making the experience pleasant for everybody at the table, that's the same thing that you do with your baby. Turn off your TV. Turn off your cell phone. Turn off your radio. Find a quiet place in your house and take 10 minutes when you're feeding that baby. Just 10 minutes, 5 or 10 minutes, where you're making eye contact with the baby and you're talking to them. Didn't we have fun at the park today? I thought it was great. Wasn't that a funny dog we saw? Whatever. Talk to the baby. Make some eye contact. Make some verbal contact. Even though the baby's not talking back, she's beginning to learn that there's a social element associated with eating. So it's incredible. So anyway, (laughs) so I think that table manners is a great example. The first greetings that kids learn is bye-bye. I think that's a riot. Uh, They wave (laughs) bye-bye first, almost before they do anything. But that's the beginning of greetings and introductions. So if we think about waking to the world, these babies are learning things right away. That's amazing. Now I'm going to keep going with some of these other stages because I don't want to run out. Stage two two is one year to three years, and we call it learning the basics. And really, it's a little bit more of that work with the spoon, so some table manners stuff. But also, this is where the language, the speech and language person, was a huge help to us. Really, if you ask kids what's the very first magic word they ever learned, most of them will tell you "please." Starting around two, when kids are really developing their verbal skills, they have single words two or three word sentences, one of the first things that parents can teach their kids is to say please. And please and thank you and hi and bye are all language skills that your one to three-year-old will be learning. Awesome. Awesome. Um, And there are plenty of other things, but I can't go into them all right now. So When they start to hit three, do you start kind of pushing more for the police. I feel like at one, you're the one saying it to get them used to it. Mm-hmm. By the time they're three, they're really talkers and yeah. they're full sentences yeah. and yeah. thoughts and things. Yeah. Is that when you start doing, well, what's the magic word? Yes. You know, where you demand it before sure. the, the thing. Okay. Anywhere between two and three. Two and so three, you're you in this learning the basics phase and they're beginning to learn that, 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 that please is magical because it makes things happen. You know? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you add that please to that request. And the cookie shows yeah. up. <laughs> the, the classic thing sort of under 
underline it that you may not be discussing with your two okay. to three year old is that please turns a demand into a request. Right. It makes a very different communication skill that, that you're teaching your child at Amazing. that point in time. And they're absorbing it right. at that age. <laughs> right. So let's move on to stage three, what we like to call the age of discovery. Stage Ooh. three covers kids from age three to five. And I use this, I this stage. <laughs> I do too. I, I love it. I use this stage as the perfect place to teach how the social development aspect of my whole scale works and a little bit about greetings and introductions. Because we're at that stage then. They can right. do this. <laughs> right. So, But your three-year-old really can't. No. Your three-year-old is really too young developmentally to expect your three-year-old to step out, shake hands, look someone in the eye and say, hello. Think about the three-year-old. That's a lot to ask. Now, you may have a three-year-old that does that. (laughs) There are gregarious little three-year-olds who step right out and shake hands and whatever. But you also can have really shy three-year-olds. And developmentally, there's really not a strong expectation that they can do that. Looking someone in the eye can be very threatening. It's kind of scary. It is. It's a tough thing to do. So the three-year-old, what you expect in a greeting is you can at least expect them to step out from behind your knee and kind of say hi with a smile. They may look down at the ground, but you want them just to say hi or hello or something like that and and acknowledge a greeting in essence. That's the beginning. Then as they work their way through those three years up to age five or six, by six, you really can expect them to shake hands and look someone in the eye. They do it kind of shyly, but they will do it. They They'll actually go through all the motions. They, they kind can of. do it. And what yeah. they need is they need some practice. And I yep. think this is a task for parents. I think parents want to teach their children how to do a proper greeting to someone that they don't know already. So you can do a couple of things. Take some time. Get their stuffed animals lined up around a table and do a greeting to each one of them. Shake hands with each one of your little stuffed animals. Look them in the eye and say (laughs) hi. I love it. Okay? Or you can have your partner, when they come home, say, we're working on greetings, and little Jimmy's going to run up to you and shake your hand and look you in the (laughs) eye instead of your usual hug. So you can practice doing that. It's way easier to look a person you know well in the eye than a stranger. Okay. Absolutely. And then the final thing is a parent once taught us that one thing that you can do is that if you look at someone at the bridge of their nose, they can't tell whether you're looking them in the eye or not. And it's not quite as scary to look at the bridge of someone's nose as it is to look them in the eye. So you can teach that six-year-old to do that kind of easily. And you have another really good one, which is I think it's great because it changes the focus of the interaction because that greeting can be intimidating, and especially when it is something you're practicing and learning than it's expected. And there can just be a little bit of pressure around that. And you came up with a great idea of getting kids to say, now, I want you to try your greeting with Aunt Sue, but I want you to see if you can tell me what color eyes Aunt Sue has. And it gets them used to looking for eyes and making eye contact, but maybe in a way that's not quite so intimidating. And I thought that was a great idea. I have to share with you a little story about Stella Grace, though. So she's right at this age. She's in. She's three. This is age of discovery, right? Yes. Yes. And she was so cute at our Christmas holiday, post-family Christmas this year, because she told her mom, and Susan told me this, because I, I love Stella Grace, and I really love playing with Stella Grace. We have a good time at the family uh-huh. gatherings. <laughs> and she's such a sweet little girl. And she, um, her mom told me, so Stella Grace said, Mom, I'm going to be shy at the start of the party, okay? <laughs> and so Stella Grace, and sure enough, she was. She did the behind the knee, and she did the tucking the head, and she doesn't kind of want to interact. But as the party went on and she felt comfortable, you know, then it was she could totally be on the couch with me when dad got up. You know, yeah. it, the parent didn't need to be around. We could play with the toys that were there. Everything was great, and she was interacting. And I loved the self-awareness of Mom, I'm going to be this way now, and then I'm going to, but I'm going to open up. Don't worry. And it was like, I was like, who's teaching who? What's going on here? And <laughs> it was great. so cool, but she's That's such great. a, such a, such a little sweetie with that. And I yeah. think, you know, kids kind of know their limits yeah. too. And, and it's good to be aware of them and you encourage them to come out, but you also right. play with where they're at. <laughs> right. What a perfect example and a great way to end our discussion about uh, the, this third stage of development. Well, I am so excited, Cindy, that you will come back to do stages four, five, and six. And Dan will probably be here, too. And I'm sure he is going to be thrilled to be talking about developmental stages again (laughs) at some point. I'll be happy to come back, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) 
You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. But you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good manners. Well, each week we like to end our show on a high note, and we turn to you to share with us the great etiquette that you're seeing out in the world today. And today's salute is a very sweet one. For our anniversary, I would like to provide the love of my life, Dr. David Cameron Clover, an etiquette salute. While I could go on and on with a list of the many reasons I fell in love with David, all can be encompassed by his simple, innate ability to maintain decency and devotion to others. He is the kind of man who will stop and jumpstart your car in the parking lot, even in his early morning rush to work. The kind of man willing to provide both a cup of coffee and a friendly ear to anyone down on his luck. The kind of man who is always eager to ask how you are doing and how he can help. A man of many life accomplishments, he is sincere, humble, considerate, respectful, and always presuming the good in others. He makes me a better person, and I am proud to call him my better half. To David, happy anniversary from Mona. So honored to have you by my side. Well, I think that love, a real mature love, is more than I'd imagine. What a lovely, lovely salute and anniversary gift and (laughs) sentiment. I just think that's beautiful. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. What a lovely man. We do love hearing about good etiquette out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. So don't be shy. Please send us your etiquette salutes. We look forward to hearing them. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, and by phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, Dan is at Daniel underscore Post, and I am at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by the incredible Chris Albertine.